UFOs and flying saucers and ETs In government conspiracies But I've seen none of the above If I did, I think I probably would run a million miles Lose my little mind Hi everyone, you're listening to X-Files Talk X-Files The only podcast that has been called both the cause of and solution to A time of dark, dark despair <laughs> nice thank you i'm your host david howard and you hear her there i have Kava anderson from xfilesnews.com with me once again hello hi Kava. thank you for coming along again so very happy to be here <laughs> <laughs> so we've got another five episodes from season six we're doing how the ghosts stole christmas all the way down through to tithonus or tithonus please let us know which pronunciation is correct we were yep. just remarking Years of being fans of the show, it's so weird doing this podcast and actually having to pronounce these episodes in front of other people and everyone kind of is like, what? That's how you that's how you say that one? <laughs> so if anybody knows, please enlighten us. Before we get into the episode discussion, we have another listener question. This one is from at Darth Eli on Twitter. So if you have a question, you can tweet to me. I'm at David T. Harwood. Or you can go to Facebook, I'm David T. Howard on there. You should be able to find me and send me a message. Or just go to X-Files, talkxfiles.com and click on contact us. You can just email through there. So please send us your question. We do enjoy answering them. Uh, anyway, at Darth Eli's question is, what is your favorite Scully moment? So Kava, I'm going to let you take this one first. Oh boy, that's going to be a hard one to narrow down. Are we talking uh, overall or just in season six? <laughs> Overall, I mean, I kind of have. I mean, to be honest, I have no idea what my favorite Scully moment is, but I have, I have two. So let me tell you what my two were. Sure. First of all, it's the entire episode of X Cops because I just love her hiding from the camera yep. in that one. You just, it's just so perfect, Scully. Even though it's not the side of her we usually see at all, and, and the whole, you know, Skinner said the FBI have got nothing to hide, and neither do we. You know, just some great comedic moments from Scully there. Um, but I think one of my favorite scenes of her is from the end of Beyond the Sea, when she asks her mother, was he proud of me? Oh. And, you know, she's like, he was your father. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. I think that that's, you know, a really good capsule insight of who Scully is and where she's from so early in the show before we get to see her grow and we get to see everything else that happens to her, you know, just a pure, innocent moment for her. Uh, so those are my answers. That's, those are, those are good ones. Sort of riffing off that, I think I'd even go with the, um, you know, right when we first kind of meet her in the in the beginning in the pilot there, and when you know she's laughing with Mulder in the rain. I mean, she finds this whole thing so absurd, and his his theory is completely out there, but yet she's willing to kind of, you know, to go along and and gets lost in the the science of it, um, and you know, is able to keep an open mind and 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 to really be able to see that expand there was really neat. Um, I think kind of in, in later years, any, any situation where I see her dressing down her superiors or, you know, just really fighting for, um, you know, what she believes in, I, uh, that's, I find, I've always found that so inspiring. I love that tough side of her. Um, I really, really yes, like the episode yeah. of all things and watching kind of her trajectory through that whole, um, the whole episode from, you know, getting a little bit of her, you know of her backstory and just seeing the confusion there um, about, you know, what she thought she had and what she didn't have and how she grows 
you know, through that whole episode and then comes to some certainty at the end and how she's willing to, to open herself up um, was very different than the Scully that we'd seen before. So I think that's kind of why that's always been one of my favorite um, episodes and, and like bigger Scully moments. But yeah, it's, it's hard for me to narrow down because I think I have a couple favorite Scully moments from every episode I watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, start talking about these episodes then. Uh, first one that we're talking about today is How the Ghost Stole Christmas, which is another Chris Carter standalone where he just does something completely different and wacky in the tradition of postmodern Prometheus and Triangle just a few episodes prior. But this is the one that uh, takes place in one room yep. <laughs> for the for the most part. And um, to be honest, I think I've kind of overdosed on this episode over the years because it was a Christmas Eve tradition for me <laughs> for, Still is, for, yep. a, for a long, long time to, to break this one out and watch it. And, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing says Christmas like a murder-suicide. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's become a tradition at, at, at my house, too. I mean, to the point where I was usually just watching it myself after everybody went to sleep. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one year my dad was like, oh, wait, are you watching this again? Because he watched it with me the night it, it first aired and sat down and watched it. And then... You know, my mom ended up seeing the tail end of it with us too, and then the next year she's like, "Oh, did you bring Mulder with you for Christmas this year?" <laughs> I just laugh. I'm like, what, "What, what, Mulder?" I'm like, "What is she?" No, I mean that episode. She said, and I just laughed. I'm like, "Well, yes, I did bring Mulder for Christmas." <laughs> now it's like every year, you know, we're sitting in the living room, you know, mom and dad, and you know, my my sister and her husband, if they happen to be there, and uh, my grandma who is in her 80s, sitting down to to watch a nice, you know, double homicide on Christmas Eve. But, <laughs> And I, I love that an episode where basically the entire it was born from, you know, the whole point of it was to save Fox some money because they'd done so many just like over the top big episodes with, you know, so many multiple locations through the, you know, since they'd moved it to L.A. that the whole point of this was to kind of keep it contained on the on the soundstage. And, and from that sort of, you know, we need to save some money comes this just awesome, beautifully done episode that's a, a holiday tradition for a lot of people. I just, I just, Silverina, I just love the fact that uh, every Christmas you sit your grandmother down and make her watch something that contains the word paramasturbatory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my grandma's pretty awesome. <laughs> She's pretty tough. So. Yeah, uh, I, this is just a, another cute, fun episode. Uh, really enjoy it, and I think that it kind of reiterated Chris's view for uh, most, uh, the view of most of us non-shippers that yes, okay. Mulder and Scully are soulmates. We we know that. You know, I've said that countless times on this podcast. You know, doesn't mean that romance has to factor into their relationship at all. But yeah, you can definitely tell in this episode that they are soulmates. They are meant to be together. Yes. Um, they end up underneath the floorboards together, for example. Yep. <laughs> and you know, with all the murder suicide going on, <laughs> it's nice that you have that that cute little moment at the end where they come, they bring the Christmas presents to each other, and. Yeah. Like Lyada says, but they're both so attractive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ed Asner and Lily Tomlin, I mean, what, you know, you couldn't hope for better guest stars in an episode like that. They just oh, they're great. You know, make the episode and just that much more, more fun. And I think, too, you, you know, from a production standpoint, you really got to hand it to Corey Kaplan, who designed that whole amazing set, you know, just this, you know, and, and, and having to double up 
you know, the rooms and, and, you know, just the, you know, the bookshelves, the moving bookshelves and everything. I mean, it's just such a, just beautiful episode to look at and, you know, props to her and the, you know, as the set designer, I think to, for pulling it off. Yeah. I want to say it was maybe her idea in the first place that she went to Chris and was like, why don't we do an episode that all takes place in one room? Cause that'll save us some money and it'll save, you know, a lot of work from the crew. And he's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'll design, we can get this elaborate one room set, which basically ended up being a lot more work for her department, but everybody yep. else got some time off. So I think I read somewhere that um, within that discussion, she'd even pitched, you know, well, maybe we can just do Scully's apartment because we haven't done that yet. And then it was either, you know, Chris or Frank was like, can you build us a mansion? <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> a two story library. <laughs> right. And I have actually seen the, uh, um, the actual mansion, you know, that they use for the exteriors, it's up in uh, um, Pyro in, uh, um, in here in California, which I was, uh, Erica Fraga, who wrote uh, the LAX Files, was here visiting and, and took me out to see it at oh, some cool. point, really, really neat, because it's, it's really cool. I mean, you can't get super close, but yeah, it's, it's definitely the house. It, it still looks the same, and it was really neat to, to see it in person, albeit on a very uh, sunny California day, and there was no, uh, you know, no low fog or hounds bang on the moor so i want to say that house was used in another episode as well but i can't recall which one it might have been it's probably from you know from a different angle obviously it looks totally different but i want to say that the exterior of the house was used for something else yeah. obviously in a future episode but i'm not sure what i don't really know what to say about this episode other than start just repeating scenes from it line for line right <laughs> so <laughs> so I think it might be best for me to quit while I'm ahead. Uh, but if you have anything else to contribute, Kava, oh, go yeah, for I'm it. Kind of, I'm kind of the same way. You know, it's it's one of those things where I've seen it so many times, I, I pretty much can recite it word for word, but it still makes me laugh. And that's, I, I love that about it. You know, that it's it's become, you know, almost like comfort food, you know, again, which is funny considering they're crawling through their own blood at the end. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is just so, it's it, it's a warm fuzzy like no really what <laughs> but and the and the long-standing mystery of the uh the christmas gifts at the end too i mean what do you what do you think Mulder and scully uh exchange there but i think there's oh, i think lot. i think one of them's got an empty toilet roll yeah uh, from remembering the shapes of them and i forget what the shape the other one was but... the other one looked like a uh a, a vhs tape okay. or similar but I, I don't think was that by any chance a gift for Mulder? because yeah i could yeah. i could hazard a guess <laughs> is it alien probe too right <laughs> scully bringing him as usual <laughs> wait a minute i know uh, if you watch the uh the paley interview from a couple years ago jillian has a theory on what may have been in that uh in in the in the gift for scully but as this i'm, I'm assuming this is a family podcast i'm not gonna go there, so. <laughs> yeah let's quit while we're ahead on this one <laughs> probably all right so up next is uh terms of endearment and this is actually a pretty decent episode um it's not one that i choose to go back and revisit real frequently um but as far as season six goes i think it's it's a decent one and obviously this episode was a take on rosemary's baby um and i knew that before seeing the episode it would still be several years after watching this episode before I saw Rosemary's Baby. And I've got to say, I think I prefer Terms of Endearment. Um, and it's probably because of this episode warping my expectations of what to expect from Rosemary's Baby. I was expecting a movie about a woman who becomes pregnant and becomes really fearful and sort of terrorized by not knowing what it is is inside her. And that's not what the movie is about at all. It's all about her 
kind of been a little bit sort of put out by these unusual neighbours who turn out being a part of a satanic cult and stuff, but it's not really horrific in the idea of this strange thing growing inside her, which I think is a much more powerful take. And that's kind of where this episode leans a little bit mm-hmm. when it deals with um, the first wife who loses her baby. And then, of course, you have that nice, the really good twist that the second wife that he has in secret actually is a demon too and she's been trying to get a purebred demon baby all these years i I think that to me is kind of what saves the episode because this is definitely not a a favorite for me um and i've only seen it a few times just when it it absolutely comes up on a a rewatch but the uh that that twist where you know, it's the demon and he just wants to have a normal baby meets up with this other demon who wants a demon baby. Um, I, I think that definitely keeps it from being, you know, too um, predictable, I guess. And that to me was, I, I really like that twist, but it's just, I don't know. I, I find the subject matter a little off-putting, which considering the show, um, <laughs> yeah. really like the fact that this bothers me, but the thing that sort of stood out, I was just like, really, you're making Scully go dig up dead babies right after Christmas. Like, really we're gonna go there a year after emily but of course you know the lack of continuity there doesn't surprise me so um and the other uh the other thing that just gets me is when Mulder says he's not a psychologist like okay you guys didn't catch that (laughs) (laughs) yeah um you know in terms of the grand scheme of things it's not one of my favorites but uh for what it is, I think I think it's decent. It has some nice moments, um, notably when Mulder's letting all those kids jump on uh, the guy's car when he's yeah. in, when he's in his insurance meeting, um, and I it, at moments I love it, at times I hate it. Mm-hmm. But the bit where she sort of drives off into the sunset with her eyes glowing at the end, yeah. and you have only happy when it rains playing yes. on the radio, you know. The nice thing too is is because you know like we've we've talked about how season six is a little lighter I, to have an episode that is really dark I, I think um, is good even if it's not particularly one of my favorites this one does get back to the the scare the pants off you that we've come to expect I think yeah that's to- that's true it's definitely got some disturbing moments <laughs> as you yeah. pointed out um, but yeah this, this is one of the, the the tropes of season six is, you know, I talked about it in the last podcast that we have a lot of episodes in here in season six where the end is, and it was all a dream. You know, we've entertained you for an hour, but none of this really matters. Mm-hmm. You have that in Triangle, you have that in Dreamland, you have that in Monday, you have that in Field Trip. Um, I'm not sure if I'm missing any. I think I've four, well, five, four stories, five episodes. I think that's enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for, to have that same sort of ending. Right. Uh, and for the episodes where it's not all a dream, everybody gets a happy ending. Even in this one, you, you have the, the demon who wanted the demon baby, you know, evil, evil, evil. And she gets to ride off into the sunset playing Only Happy When It Rains on the radio, you know. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to The Rain King, actually, mm-hmm. which is another one where everybody has to have their, their perfect little happy ending. Uh, apart from Mulder and Scully. Right. You know, they just continue being the miserable... Uh, individuals who yeah they, they get to sway next to each other in the middle of the gym but you know other yeah. than that no uh no true happy ending for them in that one so because they're narcissistic overzealous self-righteous egomaniacs <laughs> <laughs> so yeah the the ranking um where do i begin it it's 
it's hard not to admire the fact that they've tried to do something completely new for the X-Files because mm-hmm. countless times already I've pointed out, you know, when we have the comedy episodes or when we have um, Pine Bluff variants or whatever, you know, there's lots of episodes where, you know, from season four onwards where people have come in and they've tried something very different. They've tried to do something different, new with the X-Files that has never been done before. So it's hard not to admire the effort of doing an X-Files romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just sunshine and lollipops everywhere. <laughs> it's out of all of the season six episodes, which are so cheery and so sunny. This is like the worst offender on all uh-huh. counts. <laughs> so. And oddly, it was the highest rated episode of the season. <laughs> really? Yep. It it beat out even the um because usually it's the the typically you'll see the um you know the premiere and the finale as you're really strong. Um, it was close to the beginning, but it was way ahead of um, the the season finale of Biogenesis, uh, which is... Yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the numbers on Wikipedia. Right. It sort of makes you wonder if it was all the uh, Saturday Night Live people that tuned in for this one to see uh, Victoria Jackson. But I, I like this episode. I imagine just... the marketing played up the shipper angle. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they did. It, if I remember right, even the print ads got Mulder with lipstick all over his face. <laughs> That'll do it. And somebody's like grabbing his tie too. I think if I remember right, but yeah, it's you know, it's I think it's a really sweet episode. I mean, but again, I, I think I look at that through the lens of like the first viewings and just getting into the series. I, I spoke about that a little bit in the last one because Dreamland was my my first episode. But I even remember like, for some reason this sticks out in my brain. I'm sitting on the the living room floor watching this episode with my mom and my sister, and you know you're getting to the scene where they're in the gym and you know everybody's dancing and there's Mulder and Scully swaying back and forth to the you know um, the things we do for love. And I'm like <laughs> squealing and pounding the floor. I thought it was so adorable, right? And then to go from that to Scully's speech to um, to Sheila in the in the bathroom where she's talking about you know the person you only see as a friend is somebody you know the only person you can you know imagine yourself with and it's just so damn sweet which you know the shipper in me is going but I I can imagine you know other viewers just sitting there going really really (laughs) I mean on its own, it's it's not a terrible episode, but sitting where it is in season six, I think it's just too much because there's so much syrupy stuff that runs mm-hmm. through season six, and then you know you come out of this one, you're diabetic. I mean, right? It's and just... it, it sort of goes like every other for a while. I mean, it's super light at the beginning, and then we have um... yeah, we're gonna get into a few slightly darker ones over the right. next the next yeah f- five right. or six really. Yep. So yep. that's true. It's definitely a lighter take. And I did, I mean, the, the idea of, you know, Holman Hart as the ultimate weatherman is pretty funny. I mean, I've, I've, I've known a few meteorologists in my day. So to, 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 to think of a, a weatherman who actually can control the weather, I like the idea. And that was, and that was fun. Um, and, and how, you know, he's just, his emotions were so repressed. That's how he expressed it compared to, you know, say Mulder and Scully, who also tend to keep their feelings inside. Um, but, you know, we don't have any tornadoes or, or you know, heart-shaped hail following them around. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some nice moments in this episode. You know, the idea is, is sound. Um, I, there's just no moderation here. I think that's what it is for me. Right, yeah. There's, just, there's a lot of good stuff here. 
but it is just too much. <laughs> so many examples of them being, you know, like mistaken for a couple and, you know, and, and even the, the trick at the end where they're, you know, as the lights are starting to come back on in the gym um, and you see all the other couples like kissing, there's even that one shot where it's, it's definitely, they tried to make it look like it was Mulder and Scully and then it pulls back and now you just noticed it was somebody else with reddish hair, which I thought was funny. It's like, come on guys, really? Yeah, like I'm that's sure that stuff. found it into the marketing TV spots. <laughs> Right. It's like, that's how you're going to tease us, you know, like, come on. But yeah, it's, it's definitely got its sweet points. And the thing with the flying cow is also funny, but I mean, it's when you've got so much light at the beginning of the season, it, it might've felt a little better towards the end to kind of break up some more of the, the darker stuff. I, I think you're right there. Yeah. I, I, and I do think it's my dry sense of humor, which I probably gained because of watching X-Files and, <laughs> and picking that up with Mulder and trying to emulate him. But I do just love that scene when they arrive in the town at the beginning on the little uh, on the little airplane, and yeah. there's that there's that one baton twirler there with a the little boombox. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's like something out of Twin Peaks. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. didn't know class reunions can be so wet. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, okay, and of course we have to mention the whole obsession with Wizard of Oz because this episode is in Kansas and. You know, Sunshine and Lollipop, season six, that's where we're at. And we've had the references at the end of Triangle. We had the references in the movie when Mulder woke up in the hospital. Somebody is obsessed with Wizard of Oz. And yep. fortunately, I think by the end of the ranking, they get it out of their system. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that kind of is the last of it. So that's, yes. that's probably yeah. good. So uh, after the sugar rush of the ranking, we hit the... Um, the sugar crash <laughs> of SR 819. Uh, Skin man. Definitely a turn for the darker tone. <laughs> yeah. In this one. And, you know, it's a pretty slick episode. You know, you can really see the production values here. You can really see how the move to LA, no offense to the Vancouver cast, but how it really resulted in a, a richer palette of darker colors. And the whole episode does just look like a very expensive, slick piece of television. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say though is even though this is commonly thought of as a Skinner episode I don't think he gets as much to do here as he does in Avatar or Zero Sum I mean granted there's consequences for this episode which will pay off um, throughout the next few seasons right up to uh, when he ends up shooting Crycheck yep. at the end of season 8 uh, which I don't, I'm hoping is the one thing that Chris Carter decides was the wrong move to make <laughs> he wants to correct but i don't think it will be um so yeah what are your thoughts on this episode i really like this one i i'm a big fan of skinner so to see him get oh you know another skinner focused episode get a little bit more to do is always great i love his monologue you know the where he's speaking about you know every moment of every day we choose and and you know in this case death chose for me like i just thought that was such a you know, just kind of a moving and, and interesting way to, to start the episode. I mean, you're right. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of, of Skinner investigating and not Skinner lying sick in the hospital bed. But the start of that at the beginning is, you know, just great when Scully's trying to convince him, no, you need to go, you know, like we need you under doctor's care. And he's like, no, I'm going to figure out who did this to me. I, I love that, you know, until yeah. he's like completely physically unable to move, you know, he's out trying to to find answers. And I, I like you know, him and, and Mulder working together. I really like that relationship between, you know, Mulder and Skinner. It's kind of friendly, but at the same time, it's almost, you know, you get that almost kind of paternal thing too. And, 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 and watching how like 
you know, how concerned Mulder is for his, his friend and, and this, you know, man who, I mean, they don't report to Skinner anymore at this point, but, you know, he's just, you know, somebody who's come to mean a lot to them, I think. Um, you know, you see that with his conversation with Scully a little later, too, about how he should have been, you know, he talks about how he should have been, you know, their quest should have been, your quest should have been mine, I think, is how he, he puts it. And it's, it's interesting to to sort of, you know, see how he's, you know, he's evolved over the, the years, I think. Yeah, I think it's actually, you hit the nail on the head there, the whole relationship between Skinner and Mulder, because I think this episode is one that really sort of demonstrates Mulder as just a regular FBI agent, and this is him taking his work seriously. He's not, you know, trying to uh, rub his superiors the wrong way. He's not just trying to investigate what he wants to investigate here. This is where he's just coming in and he wants to do the best job that he can because he really does care about bringing people to justice and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. he wants to help his friend. He wants to help his boss. Yeah. And it's just a, a nice sort of um, portrait of Mulder in terms of his actions and his characteristics in this episode. Mm-hmm. I think it's handled really well. Yep. Um, one thing I do want to call out uh, in this episode is the blatant laziness of Mark Snow in this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's it's fight the future. It, it's, <laughs> it's not even that it's fight the future, because he does it in a few episodes throughout season six, and we had it in the yeah, end yeah. a little bit as well, but this is where it just smacks as being just really lazy, because by this point, everyone who watches the show has watched the movie a gazillion times, they've bought the soundtrack score, and they've been listening to it, all summer since they saw it, you know, waiting for the beginning to start. So everybody knows not just the music to recognize it, but they know it by name. And we have the music from the the corn chase where the helicopters are chasing them in the movie playing over this episode where Skinner is just sitting in a hallway, you know, because he's just been shot or he's just been beaten or something. I don't think it's necessarily the nanobots, but he's sitting there he's not doing very good he had the crop field chase music going on it just doesn't fit the mood and everybody watching knows exactly where that music is from and it just really highlights how lazy mark snow was for this episode and i'm sorry i'm sorry mark snow i love you but (laughs) i know i adore mark so it pains me to but yeah because i mean i know he, he it was another instance where they needed to sort of ratchet up the the tension. And I think, you know, reusing that, the, the fight, the future music works a little better in the two fathers, one son, two-parter, because that is such a mythology heavy, you know, two-parter there. So it does make sense to kind of use the music to sort of weave that back in and remind people of sort of where we're coming from. It just doesn't work quite as well in, in SRA 19. And I was watching that again this morning and that just sticks out like a sore thumb and it's beautiful music, but yeah, it just doesn't quite fit. But Points to uh, Mitch Pileggi, though, for doing his own boxing. <laughs> yes, yeah. And um, obviously to uh, Nicholas Lee for growing that amazing beard as well. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Ben Krychek. I love that they didn't, you know, that they, they thought not to, you know, they made sure they didn't put his name in the beginning. Yes. Didn't know he was going to pop up and, and, you know, once you... And the funny thing is, is how does Mueller not recognize him? We do. You know, it's like, when, when <laughs> look at him, we don't, oh, it's Krychek, even though he looks like, you know, a homeless guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I knew before even seeing the episode that it was him because I'd read it in the magazine or something and I guess I didn't see the episode <laughs> until after that for whatever reason 
So I, I, I knew that it was him. So I, I do wonder if people watching it maybe couldn't tell that it was him. I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of people out there who couldn't. But if there's any sort of diehard X-Files out there who legitimately didn't realize that that was Crycheck on their first viewing. It was interesting that they brought back Senator Matheson, too, because I was trying to think of when the last time we saw him. Because I, I think of him as being, like, early, early, just kind of first couple of seasons, and that's sort of it. So it, I want to say it was Little Green Men. I'm trying to think if we had seen him beyond then. That, was that the first episode he was in? Because hmm. I, I feel like we saw him twice in early, season, in early yeah. seasons, in season one or season two. I know he was in Little Green Men. Because we have the whole thing with the Bach music playing. Right. Um, let me check that, actually. I feel like a bad expert that I don't know this off the uh, tip of my tongue. <laughs> okay, so he was in Little Green Men. That's the first time we met him. He was in Nisei in season three. And then he pops okay. up in SR819. So I don't know if it was just a matter of... Um, okay, so who's going to be the the bad guy here? You know, uh, right. William B. Davis is busy, so we know we can't get him in. Um, well... Mark's just recycling the music from the movie. What? Are you kidding me? Well, if he's doing that, I'm just going to write in Samantha Matheson. I mean, screw it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I do, you know, it, I mean, it makes sense to bring him back as the evil senator because the whole, the name of the episode comes from, you know, Senate Resolution 819, so it, there is politics involved, so it, it makes sense to fall back on him instead of bringing in another evil politician, even though they're politicians, so there's plenty to go around, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> so it does make sense in that in that case, but it was sort of a surprise to oh yeah we haven't seen this guy much in a very long time, so it was a a good choice I think. Yeah, and I can, I can see them maybe wanting to throw in somebody there that the fans would recognize because right. you know it, it's a pretty slim episode in terms of the number of characters that are in there you know, and it's a Skinner centric one and even though he doesn't have a whole lot to do because uh, he's lying in a hospital bed for the for most of the duration. <laughs> You know, throwing in somebody else so that the fans might recognize because you're not bringing in any of the syndicate people. It maybe sort of underscores that idea that maybe this is something to do with the larger mythology. And I, I touched on it in the last podcast when we mentioned Roush, uh, the van at the beginning of the beginning. Um, <laughs> that Roush is most likely who's behind this because they do have ties with the conspiracy. We know that from Critchgow. Yes. And also... Um, you know, we know that there's there are a congressional lobbying firms, so it, that ties in with the whole idea of politics and the Senate bill that is referenced in this episode. Um, mm -hmm. But they are a congressional lobbying firm in regards to biotech issues, which is, you know, that's what nanobots are. So it makes perfect sense that all those intersections come together here for this episode. So that's true. Yeah. And I, I will admit to being fairly convinced that they were indeed going to kill Skinner in this episode. Um, d again, just because I wasn't as familiar with the... I, I was slowly starting to catch up at this point. This was, you know, back in the day when FX still ran two episodes a night. So I was catching up that way. Um, but I did sort of just see Skinner as kind of a, a you know, a more minor character and, and was fairly convinced that they were going to kill him off. So, I, you know, props to the... The writing team for that one, and I was very glad when they didn't. So <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it could have legitimately have happened because we've had yep. some seismic changes at this point. You know, mm -hmm. we've had the Exiles office has burnt down. Mulder and Scully are no longer investigating the X Files. Um, you know, even if you've been watching the show long term and you kind of had seen Skinner evolve from this guy who you're not sure whether he can be trusted or not to one of Mulder and Scully's closest allies. 
you know, it could legitimately have happened that they could have mm-hmm. killed him off, especially now when we have Kirsch there, who is most definitely not going to be uh, somebody who's on their side at all. Right. And it's interesting, too, to now that Skinner's once again compromised. You know, we don't. Yes. You know, he's going to have to go. He's going to have to play that, you know, walk that line again, even though <clears throat> he'd made his, his little speech about, you know, your question have been mine. It went, well, now he's sort of back to where he was at the beginning. We don't know if we can trust him just because of this other. Yeah. And, and when you know, it comes right after the speech where he says, I haven't been the kind of ally I could have been to you. Right. So. <laughs> And yeah. you're still not. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor skin, man. And I love the fact that even though we have the revelation at the end that it's Krychek who's been doing this to him, we still end the episode without knowing Krychek's long-term motives behind it. Right. But, of course, Mulder is right throughout the episode when he asserts that this is because of the X-Files. And Skin's yes. like, look, I'm the one who's infected here. I'm the one who's right. like... It's can't, not always about you, can't, Mulder. Can't this which, just be you know, about me? Have heard this before? <laughs> and the one person, of course, who can't die is Dana Scully. Right. <laughs> um, Tithonus or Tithonus, however you choose to pronounce it, I'm sure there is a correct way because I think it's named after a Greek god mm-hmm. or goddess, but um, I neglected to look that up beforehand. <laughs> this episode, you know, is most notable because it continues the idea um, which was planted in Clyde Brockman's final repose that Scully is immortal because. Scully asks uh, Clyde Brockman, how do I die? How do I die? And he says, you don't. And and that's all she wrote. <laughs> but then, of course, we get this episode, which is about a photographer who for years and years and years has been uh, chasing death. You know, he's he's the first person at crime scenes whenever somebody is murdered. Um, he's the crime scene photographer. And his reasoning is that he's trying to take photos of people as they draw their dying breath because he's trying to get a photo of death so that he can look into death's eyes and die. Um, The genesis of this episode was they wanted to come up with an idea for a story where the idea of immortality was scary. And this is what they came up with about this guy who is trying to die and he can't. And he's lived however many years he has and he's just fed up and he just wants to look into death's eyes so that he can die um and there's some there's some nice moments in this again it i don't think it's one of my favorite episodes but it's decent enough for what it is um i do like the bit where he talks about how being immortal is kind of a curse because you see these people that you you know and you love and they die before you and at one point he mentions going back going to the city hall of records or something to look up his wife because it bothered him that he couldn't even remember her name so you, get, you kind of get a nice bit of emotional pathos in this episode um but overall it's not really one of my favorites what are your thoughts i like this one um and it's i, I think again because it's a little darker than what we get in the rest of the the season um and i love the concept of of immortality being terrible you know it's yeah you think oh you know living forever would be great you know think of how many things you could see and do and but that's not you know it's just such an interesting look at kind of the things that help make us human you know when all your your friends and loved ones are gone and you know when the when the last person who remembers you is gone you know what how does that it's got to be a very very lonely existence and and i like that you know, just how haunted his character is. I mean, it's, it's you know, great casting for one thing, but, you know, Felig is just so, like, he just looks so, like, beaten by life, you know. It's just, 
in, but in some ways almost kind of frantic to to be able to to check out which I, I is just you know frightening and it's not something i think you think about too often you know when you think about you know death eventually being you know i guess almost a relief you know it's the you know the total opposite for most people you know and and i, I think they say later it's like maybe death you know doesn't come looking for you until you you seek its opposite so it's just it's just spooky and i do like that they uh they brought back the, the Scully is immortal thing and how, you know, at the end, how she's like, I don't even know how I entertain the concept when Mulder's talking to her about how quickly she's healing. That's got to be frightening. You know, I, I wonder, you know, if, if it's one of those things where if she thinks about it much or in typical Scully fashion, just kind of packages it up and bottles it away and, and doesn't let it bother her too much. But, you know, and the other lesson from this episode should be, you know, don't separate Mulder and Scully because terrible things happen. You know, we should have learned this by now. <laughs> Yeah, I do like um, how you know what what's going to happen is what's meant to happen is going to happen. That idea is kind of played with here a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just that when Scully's sitting in the car with Felix and he's like, "Oh, that that prostitute over there is about to die," and she gets in a fight with somebody, so of course Scully runs across to save her and prove him wrong, and she runs right into the front of the truck. Yep, <laughs> it's coming. So yeah. it may not sound funny, but <laughs> right? <laughs> but. Uh, it's a nice idea that they play with the idea of fate here and um you mentioned about the idea of you know immortality is something that people expect to be a good thing and this plays with how it could be a bad thing and the first thing in my mind was um the genie episode that you think having free wishes could be a good thing yes <laughs> just how that plays with the idea of having free wishes from a magical genie is may not maybe not uh, as good a thing as you might imagine it to be the other thing I really liked about this episode in a way was um, Scully's interactions with, you know, Peyton Ritter, because the kid's just a pain in the ass. But it also, like, reminded me of, of how she interacted with Tom Colton way back in the beginning. Um, you know, when... Yeah, he's a very Colton kind of character. Yeah, because he's just sort of looking to advance his career. He's very gung-ho to just bust this guy. And Scully's like, hang on, hang on, hang on. You know, what's the... You know, we need to, to sit here and look at the evidence and... and and, you know, earlier we hear, you know, Colton's asking her, you know, whose side are you on? You know, she says the victims. There's something very similar about that attitude in, you know, in this episode as well. And she's just kind of willing to give Felig the benefit of the doubt, even though Peyton's just very gung-ho. And, no, this guy did it. And, you know, why else would his, his prints be all over the knife? And, and it's just, you know, we're going to convict the guy. And, and I, I like watching Scully stick to her guns there and, and wait until she's got all the all the evidence. And I, I also rather enjoyed poor bored Mulder just sitting there interacting whatever's being sent from you know Peyton Ritter to to Kirsch. <laughs> like, wait a second, you know, you've hacked into your boss's email? Like, what are you doing here, dude? But you know, it's it's just that sweet that he's so convinced it's an X file and just really wants to be out there and really wants to help. But um I, I like watching him dig in, even if he's sort of stuck in the background. I, th- I think that was sort of fun. I actually think this episode might be a good double bill with Mind's Eye, because they're both kind of on a par for me in terms of where I would rank them. Oh, yeah. Um, but what you're saying about, you know, Scully is so concerned that she wants to get the truth of the matter and not just bring this uh, guy in and, and prove that he's the killer or whatever. It's the same sort of concept as Mind's Eye, where they're, mm-hmm. they're bringing Mulder and Scully because they want to prove that... Um, that the blind girl was actually the one who did the murders. And Mulder's like, well, hang on, let's just sit back and examine the evidence and make sure before we ruin her life sort of thing. And, you know, similar sort of themes in terms of that. 
Yeah, and I like that they they shot parts of this on the uh, the NYPD set. Yes, because <laughs> they were on the Fox lot. So, yeah, and this was you can tell this is a Vince episode too, just because of the uh, the Holly references. Yes, even if it doesn't, you know, stand out to you right away as as one of his episodes. But the L. H. Rice, you know, that's, his, that's right because I had forgotten that this was one of his episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, it it doesn't for me have. Uh, granted, you know, the guy writes so many of them throughout a season. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like a typical Vince Gilligan script. Like, you know, a lot of the time he does the comedy, but then he does the really sort of well-plotted episodes, um, which are straight X-Files, like Drive or like Pusher. Um, but yeah, this one it kind of is a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment for me when it, when it comes to that. When you realize that it's a Vince Gilligan script, I don't think it, it's up there with his best work. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad to hear that you like it. <laughs> yeah, I like this one. It's, you know, and it's 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 funny because I can't even quite articulate why. It's, it's just I, there's just something about the attitude of it to me that I've always really liked. But yeah, and the uh, hi, my name is Fox Mulder. We used to sit next to each other at the FBI. Was the uh, welcome sound on my uh, AOL for years. <laughs> dating myself a little bit there oh and i just realized there was something i was going to point out from the last episode sr819 because Mulder makes a your mom joke and that oh, just yes i totally forgotten about that until i saw it again this morning and i just about fell off the couch laughing it was like yeah right right up there with my sense of humor way to go Mulder. Well, that was actually one thing i wanted to address in that episode because it, he does it blatantly there but it's a good season six drinking game at last, at least from these first 10 episodes of the number of times he does come back with a comeback, yep. which is some variation of, yeah, so is your mom. He, right. He, yeah. Yeah. So is your dad. I think he, there's something in triangle when they first get him or something. And you know, when the, the Germans are sort of marching him into the captain's quarters or something. And um, they say something to him and his response is, yeah, so are you or something right, like that. Yeah. So yeah, that's Mulder's standard season six comeback. <laughs> so. Your mom. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Uh, anything else from any of these six episodes? No, I think we've pretty much uh, covered it all. But yeah, it's it's funny just looking through that first batch. I mean, you really do see how light, you know, season six yeah. starts. Um and, and and yeah, it's. And I hope you're proud of me that I, I wasn't quite as negative as I was perhaps anticipating. <laughs> yes, you did well. Oh, which actually, I do have to point out the one shippy thing from that last episode is the the secret FBI handshake at the at the end when you know Scully's uh, laying in her hospital bed and, and Mulder walks over and, and picks up her hand and they do the weird little thumb thing. Like <laughs> I do that weird little thumb thing with my coworkers all the time. I mean, you know. Shaking hands, it's fine. <laughs> I, I guess we should probably mention um, that Tiffany's episode kind of upset Chris Carter a little bit. Well, not really that episode, but the uh, the fact that they did some really cool special effects in this episode and nobody batted an eye at it. Yes. It's just like, okay, black and white, who gives a shit? And then Pleasantville comes out and oh. everyone is just raving about the black and white and how people shift from black and white into color. And he's like, X-Files did it like a year ago on right. a TV budget. Nice. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh, so. man. Always getting the shaft. No credit where credit's due, man. I, I, I would just chalk it up to the fact that, you know, people are sort of watching this and they don't see the colors are changing because they're looking at it, the people that they're sitting next to on the couch thinking, wasn't this music in the movie? Right. <laughs> 
That was in the last episode, though. They had the color-changing <laughs> thing with the new music. So. <laughs> this is the bit where they're running through the cornfields. Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's the bit where they're tracing the, the train, at least. <laughs> Oh dear. Well, I think we should wrap this one up and uh, let's do our five question quiz. Okay, I knocked it out of the park last week, so I have a sneaking suspicion I'm not going to be as lucky. And you're on your own once again, so I do. I am. No backup. (laughs) They deserted you. Okay, so once again, I have one question from each episode. So the first question is from How the Ghosts Stole Christmas. And this is an easy one. How does Mulder trick Scully into following following him into the house? Oh, he takes her car keys. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Mulder. No, not sure if they have the Apollo 11 on there, but... Uh, right. <laughs> he did steal her car keys. So question two from Terms of Endearment. How did Mulder find out about the case? Um, I think it was Spender. Didn't he like shred it and Mulder put it back together? <laughs> he, he did indeed. <laughs> so he's he's stealing all sorts of things. You know, first it's all these car keys, and then it's files that he shouldn't have. And damn, I should I should have done. I didn't realize that all my questions are about Mulder stealing stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, question three. In the Rain King, according to his secretary, what color jelly beans does Daryl Moots not like? Oh man, it's either black or green. It is. <laughs> it's green. Is it green? It okay. It is green. Yes. I went. think a lot of people don't like the black jelly beans, so that's probably why the. I'm not a jelly bean fan in general. Yeah, me either. <laughs> so, my kids love them, but yeah, never have been. Okay, in SR eight nineteen, what is Skinner's nickname at the boxing gym? Oh, man. I think the, the old guy calls him Slugger. He I does. Think, is it that? Yeah. Yep. Okay. It's your typical boxing nickname, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I always hesitate putting that question in. I thought, oh, no, I'll do it. <laughs> and then question five in Tithonus. What illness almost killed Felig once upon a time? Yellow fever. That's right. He got yellow fever and death came along. He closed his eyes. And that's how he became immortal, so... Took the nurse instead. So, kids, if you want to become immortal, just go contract an incurable disease. <laughs> but be sure you close your eyes, or... <laughs> uh, and on that word of wisdom, I think it's time to wrap this show up. Probably, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kava, thank you very much for coming along again. Always a blast. Uh, how can people reach out to you other than going to xfilesnews.com? Uh, best way, I think, is to hit me up on Twitter. I am at Synergy3K, and I'm almost always online, so hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, you can uh, also get me on Twitter. I'm at David T. Harwood. I'm on Facebook as well. And uh, through X-Files, talkxfiles.com. And please send us some listener questions, because uh, I am really enjoying doing those at the top of each episode. Uh, also, uh, when you do go to X-Files, talkxfiles.com, do me a favor and go click on the Amazon link there. It's a huge Amazon logo. Click on that and go to your Christmas shopping or whatever you've got coming up. Uh, reason I'm asking you to do that is because it's an affiliate link. It won't cost you anything extra to shop on Amazon using that link, but a little bit of the money you spend will come back, help support this show and help pay the cost of just keeping the episodes up online so that everyone can download them for free. Uh, so Kava, I don't think you're back next week, are you? 
I don't think so. so nope. You, you've got the week off. Uh, I will be back. We are going to discuss um, sort of what I like to think of as the two part of the end of the mythology. We're talking two fathers, one son. So be sure to tune in for that. Um, and given that we've discussed how the ghost stole Christmas and my general attitude to some of the episodes we've discussed today, I think the only appropriate way to sign off is by going bah humbug. I did, I think I probably would run a 